Please be seated. Last week we talked about joy because we have been born again into a living hope, an inheritance that is imperishable, and we are saved for that inheritance. Today we're going to talk about the joy of the Lord, because that joy of the Lord is our strength. We read from Nehemiah that today is not a day to grieve, but a day to rejoice in the setting, was they had just rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They worked hard, and as any good military person knows, after you work hard, you play hard, or celebrate hard. And that's uh, what they did. But leading up to this, there was tragedy, there was destruction, there was sin, there was abandonment, and many other things going on that could have taken their joy away. But they have gathered at this time to celebrate. We mentioned the fires in California earlier. And we've seen a lot of devastation in the news. Karen and I have a, our, her brother-in-law's son lost his home in that fire. We're still waiting to hear from a pastor friend of mine that uh, has not responded to any emails in the last week. We trust he's okay, he and his wife, but we don't know. But thinking and looking at the devastation, I'm reminded of a few years back, when there was a big fire that went through the uh, mountains of uh, Arizona, uh, up on the Colorado Plateau. We own a small home up there, and when the wire, fires went through, we could not get any word as to how, what our place was uh, looking like or how the fires were moving. We know that the fires were moving rapidly. It being a mobile home, we knew it would go up fast if it, it went up. And we finally, after they had contained the fires and uh, opened up the evacuation routes for people, homeowners to come in and take a look to see what had happened, we drove up to the mountains and we saw much devastation. It looked like a war zone. Many homes down, acres and acres and acres of some of the finest timber in the country had been down burned down. We got to our little area where our mobile set, it was standing, hadn't been touched by the fire, as were the other mobiles in that area, fortunately. As we looked at the front door of our little mobile, there was this little red sign on it, gratis of the uh, the fire, uh, fires, said, do not save. <laughs> oh, gee, <laughs> how comforting is that? Do not save. And I noticed on the outside that it had been slurried by the, uh, the, the retardant uh, from the, uh, the planes. But we were grateful that our little mobile had been saved in that fire, but there was destruction all around. This is what Jerusalem probably looked like when Nehemiah and Ezra were allowed to return after the Jewish exile 
in Babylon. The Israelites had been there for 70 years. Jerusalem had been devastated. The walls had been torn down. The gates had been burned up. The temple had been destroyed. And they were allowed to go back and take folks with them from Babylon that had been in captivity and begin the process of rebuilding a city that had been ravaged, much like these fires have ravaged uh, Northern California and what we saw in Arizona years back. But there's some background in the Old Testament history that Nehemiah shares for us in chapter 9 that gives a history of why the exile took place, but also why God had continued to keep His covenant with the people. It's interesting that in just a short chapter, chapter 9, that the, uh, the Old Testament history is pretty ca- much captured in a, in a uh, small, little, concise form. Talked about Abraham being uh, offered the covenant by God to inherit a land and to have many descendants and to, they would be God's people on the earth. Abraham didn't fully realize that dream because down the road, several generations, those people that were with him went into Egypt at the, uh, um, when Joseph was sold into slavery. While they were in Egypt, God watched over the Israelites for about 400 years. But he kept his covenant with them. And they went out of Egypt, into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they received the law, the law of Moses, which we find in Nehemiah was being read to them as they celebrated the the completion of the wall. During Mount Sinai, they became disobedient, which cost them 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But finally, God was faithful He reminded them of their covenant. In about 1240 B.C., they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land that God had said would be theirs, that He had promised to Abraham. That small nation was to conquer the land. God would help them. That nation didn't do as they totally, as, as they were told to do. But the nation continued to prosper in some ways. It became a kingdom. Out of a, out of a nation, it became a kingdom at the insistence of the folks to have a king. That kingdom divided, and Jerusalem fell because of disobedience. When Jerusalem fell, the captivity in Babylon began, and it lasted for about 70 years. Ezra was one of the leading priests during that exile. Nehemiah was a person who had found favor in the king's home, served as his cupbearer. But they were both Israelites, and they both had gained permission to go back and to begin to rebuild Jerusalem. The first effort was the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra left about 13 years before Nehemiah. and began to rebuild the temple. And when the people came and began to see the city as it was, they were troubled 
and felt disgraced because Jerusalem was in ruins. Nehemiah wanted to go. And he knew he had to get permission from King Artaxerxes to be able to go and look at, even survey what the ruins looked like before he could think about rebuilding. He knew that the ruins was because of disobedience, of not keeping the covenant that God had gave them. He prays, he laments, he confesses the country's sins, confesses his own, but he knows he needs to ask the king to let him go and rebuild Jerusalem. So he approaches the king, and the first thing that the king notices is that Nehemiah is sad. People can tell when you're sad. And the king could tell there was something eating away at Nehemiah. And so he asked Nehemiah, what's going on? Nehemiah told him. The king says, okay, go. I'll give you safe passage. This is about the middle of the 5th century B.C. Nehemiah goes, brings people with him. He inspects the walls and develops a plan. It would be nice to say at this point, all lived happily ever after. But while they were rebuilding the walls, which is the uh, essence of the first several chapters of the book of Nehemiah, leading up to where he says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. They were met with obstacles. First, there was the enormity of the task. A city wall laid in ruins. It had to be rebuilt stone by stone by stone. This was an enormous task. They did not even know how they would begin. Yet Nehemiah was able to devise a plan. He wasn't an engineer. He was a cupbearer. But he devised a plan. But the first obstacle was just the enormity of the task. There was political and military opposition to the point that half of the workers had to become armed guards while they worked on the wall. Their own Jewish brothers who had stayed in Jerusalem while the exile took place, they were poor, but they were still um, able to produce grains and other things. They began to charge and tax the new community of Israelites and created an undue burden on them just for the right to live among them and to eat. And then false prophets came to tell <coughs> Nehemiah, this isn't the right thing to do. You must quit. In spite of this, they finished rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. Wow, 52 days. Last thing I did in 52 days was go through boot camp. But they rebuilt the walls of an entire city. Let me read to you what happened 
after the walls were built. Because they came together for a time to honor God because they were so grateful that that wall had been reconstructed in spite of all of the obstacles that were there. This brings us to Nehemiah chapter 8. The first thing they wanted to do when they gathered was is they urged Nehemiah and Ezra, can you go get the books of Moses, the law of Moses, and just read it to us? We haven't heard it in our generation. We want to just hear the words of God, the words of our law, the words of Moses. One thing that would tickle me pink is if somebody just said, could you just read to us from the Bible? Because we've missed it for so long. Just read us the words, because there are words of hope, there are words of power, there are words of strength, there are words of joy. Just read it. Don't wax eloquent on it, just read it. So, Nehemiah read. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. Now, this is not the water gate back in the Nixon era. This is the water gate uh, back in the city of Jerusalem. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon. It's about six hours. I would need another glass of water up here to read that long, or I'd need to trade off with somebody kind of like we did in Sunday school where we each took a paragraph and read. He read it from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. He praised the Lord. As he opened up the, the word of Moses, the law, word of God through Moses, all the people stood up. Maybe this is where we get the idea of standing when the word of God is read. Just was automatic to them. And they said, Amen. And Amen. And they lifted up their hands. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The reading of God's word had an impact on them. They were so hungry for it because they hadn't had it. And now that it's being publicly read, it had an impact on them. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn. Don't weep. For they had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. What they had heard in the words of the law was God's covenant and how they had broken it. So they were weeping. But they said, This day is holy. Don't mourn or weep, for all people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. Kind of like Thursday coming up. It's Thanksgiving. We celebrate, and this is what Nehemiah and Ezra told to the people. Don't mourn, but celebrate, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Why? First, the joy of the Lord is our strength because what Nehemiah teaches in this passage about God. God had given a covenant to Israel. They were His people. They had been blessed, but they also lost what they had because of disobedience over the years. They had finally come out of exile. And they were charged with rebuilding the wall. And in spite of all the obstacles, they did it. They completed it. Here's how their enemies looked at this. In chapter 6, verse 16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. We do nothing without the help of our God. This morning, Marilyn announced that we have a pulpit committee selected to move forward to replace Pastor Peter. That will not take place without the help of God. And so we pray for that group. But we also recognize that when this takes place. And as this church rebuilds with that new pastor, everyone around is going to say and realize that this work has been done with the help of our God. That's why we celebrate the joy of our Lord as our strength. God was faithful to His covenant. It says in chapter 9, verse 5, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. This is what they read after the celebration, or during the latter part of the celebration, because they knew that God had been faithful to them. We serve a faithful God. Our God will never abandon us or forsake us. And for that reason, the joy of the Lord is my strength, because I serve and worship and love a God who will never leave me nor forsake me. He was faithful to the covenant, and He's faithful to the promises that Jesus fulfilled on the cross. Thirdly, what Nehemiah teaches about God is that He's a merciful God. Chapter 9, verse 17, But they, our ancestors, become arrogant and stiff-necked. How would you like to be called that? Arrogant and stiff-necked. They did not obey your commands, they refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you, God, are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, 
slow to anger, and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. What Nehemiah tells us about God in regards to the joy of the Lord being our strength is the fact that he is so great that the people recognized that what had taken place was taken place by God. That he was faithful to his people. That he would never forsake them or abandon them. And thirdly, that he was a merciful God, that even in their sins and even in our sins, God is a forgiving God and brings us back into his fold every time we get it wrong. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Why? What Nehemiah, what Nehemiah teaches about the word. The people had hungered for it. They hadn't heard it in ages. And they were hungry just to have the word read out loud. It was something spiritual taking place. And there's something spiritual about God's word when we read it and meditate upon it and let God speak to us through it. It's a powerful book but it had been neglected. God forgive, God forgive us if we neglect God's word in the process of all that takes place right here in Community Baptist Church. They had hungered for it, and they got up and read. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, they brought the law before the assembly, they read it aloud until noon, and all the people listened attentively to God's word. God gave us something to read, to listen to, to pay attention to, because it guides us. It's a living word. They had neglected it, and they hungered for it. This word gave them a sense of identity of who they were. If you think about it, for 70 years they had been Jews in exile in a strange land in Babylon, in Persia. They really did not, didn't know for sure who they were. Were they Babylonians, Persians, or were they Israelites? And now... They're being freed from exile, and they're going back to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem has been overtaken by other people. And the remnants of what was their heritage, their homeland, their remembrance, remembrance of who they were as a people, was no longer in the city of Jerusalem. It's kind of living in two places. For me, it would be trying to live in Tucson and Kodiak. They were foreigners in a strange land. But this book gave them a sense of identity that they were God's people. And this book tells us about the message of Jesus Christ, who tells us, who are citizens in a foreign land, that we are God's people and citizens of His kingdom. This book, when it was read aloud, and the stories of how God had provided and how their disobedience caused them to lose some of their inheritance. Caused them to be convicted of their sins. Not just their sins, but the sins of their ancestors. The sins all the way back to those 
who turned on God when he brought them out of Egypt. But that conviction didn't just stay there. It led to confession. Any true conviction by the Holy Spirit should lead us to confess. First John says, in verse, chapter 1, verse 9, that if I will confess my sins, He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So there's what Nehemiah said about God. There's what Nehemiah said about the Word. And what does he say about the people? They needed to grieve over their sinful past. They had lost something. It had cost them. But they were told, rejoice, you found something. Oftentimes when I would work with the substance abuse veterans at the VA hospital, one of the reasons they relapsed was because they could never grieve the loss of their substance of choice. It had been with them for years. It had taken over their lives. It was their identity. And when told to get clean, get sober, go through a program, they had to realize that their drug of choice, their best friend, was no longer part of them. They had to grieve that loss. But then they had to celebrate and rejoice because if they found Jesus Christ in the process, they gained everything. They were a people who wanted and needed to grieve, but yet rejoice because of what God had done. There were people who, with a clear vision, and that vision was to rebuild the wall, with that clear vision in sight, in 52 days they could rebuild, and they did. And there was reason to be joy. They wanted to be happy, but yet, in the process, they were mourning. Nehemiah and Ezra and the priests say, no, celebrate, celebrate. So they did for a day. And they realized that they had not celebrated enough, and God tells them to celebrate some more. It was about the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, which they reenacted or were to reenact every year. Uh, since coming into the promised land, to remember that they were without shelter. They lived in tents during their travels in the wilderness. It was a time to camp out, live in tents, have a party. Not a tailgate party, but a camping party, kind of like. And for seven days, they were to celebrate and enjoy the feasts. Sometimes we, we celebrate just a little bit, but not enough. And sometimes we need to celebrate enough and practice celebrating enough that we get it. That what we have in Jesus Christ, what God has given us in the Bible, and who God is in and of Himself is worth celebrating. Last week we talked about an inheritance that is imperishable. 
that we've been born again into. And that we are preserved for that inheritance. And that is cause for joy. And if we can't be joyful, then we need to sit back and practice that. We need to practice some joy. The people were saddened. Nehemiah was saddened. The king said, go, rebuild. The rebuilding led to revival. Sometimes we got to practice the joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength, our joy. We find joy in prayers that have been heard and answered. We find joy in God's promises that have been fulfilled. We find joy in our sins that have cleansed and our strength that has been renewed. But our joy is found in the strength of God. Why? Because we joy over our confessed sin that He has forgiven. It pleases Him. It's His joy to forgive us. It's His joy to love us. It's His joy to keep His part of the promise. Renewal of heart. When people come to him and say, just read to me from the book. Read to me from the law. It pleases God. It's his joy to allow you to hear those words. God's command was they love him with all their heart, mind, body, and soul. And they had gathered during this time to do just that. And they hadn't been doing that for a long, long, long time. Time. But God was seeing them love Him with all their heart at this moment. And that is God's joy to know that we love Him just like He loves us. And it was His joy to see the walls rebuilt that empowered them to do so. Paul writes in the New Testament, in the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my own weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, it is God's strength that takes over. He says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it is God's strength that takes over. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In Philippians 1.6, Paul wrote, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. God is doing something in us. And what he is doing is his joy to bring to completion in us. We look back, look back at our sins, we grieve. Wish I hadn't done that. We confess our sins. And when we confess, we experience God's mercy. And then we rebuild because of God's grace. And then he says, celebrate. The ultimate celebration will be that day when we see Jesus face to face, when we cross from 
this side to heaven. There's going to be a celebration in heaven. The wedding feast, so to speak, as you read at the end of the book. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. Our salvation is in Jesus Christ. May we keep our hope in that and nothing else. For He will renew us, rebuild us, forgive us, cleanse us, and bring us back to His love. If you do not know Jesus Christ, I invite you to know Him. Come to know Him today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as we sing our closing. If you feel like you